If you know anything about me, uh, you will know that I am obsessed with Japan. And one of the things within the whole wide world of Japan that I am obsessed with is sofubi. Sofubi essentially is a contraction for soft vinyl. And this refers to the material that certain toys are made of, soft vinyl toys. When I got bit with the sofubi bug, I was, uh, I want to say in Akihabara, which is a neighborhood known for celebrating otaku and pop culture. I was at a store, and my wife and I saw a Maneki Neko, also known as a Lucky Cat. You might have seen it beckoning you to come into a restaurant. And this Maneki Neko was all white, looked very much like a normal Maneki Neko, except it was cycloptic. It had one giant eye in the center. And we were fascinated by this. We had a lot of questions. What is it? Why is it? Who made it? What's going on with this? How much does it cost? Why do we want it? We really want it. We really, really want it. Well, we flipped it over and looked at the price tag, and it happened to be $400. $400 for a plastic cycloptic cat. I kid you not. So my wife and I agreed we would uh, go get some lunch, and if it still haunted us, well, then we'd just come back and get it and buy less souvenirs elsewhere. Sure enough, one Okonomiyaki later, we were right back in that store to purchase the Maneki Neko, the lucky cat with one eye. We didn't know why we wanted it. We didn't need to figure it out, though. It made us happy. It made us smile. And it was a true curiosity. It literally led us to questions. Now, that's a curiosity. So as we tried to figure out what was going on with this cycloptic cat, we realized that it was stamped. And it was made by hand by a single person. And so in learning about all of this, I discovered the world of art toys, designer toys, and sofobi. Welcome to Warner's World of Wonders. I'm Justin Warner. To understand the origin story of sofobi itself, we have to look to... Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Alive, surging up from the depths of the sea on a tidal wave of terror to wreak vengeance on mankind. Y'all know who Godzilla is, right? Godzilla is a giant kaiju. A kaiju is a, a huge monster. And uh, the word kaiju uh, is ancient. It comes from a Chinese text called the Classic of Mountains and Seas, which was written in 400 BC. It could be used to describe anything ancient or prehistoric or wild or gigantic. It's kind of this universal human trait that when we imagine a monster, the monster is big. And if it's going to be big, why not make it the size of a building? And uh, it is so universal, in fact, that in 1921, there was an animated film here in America called Dreams of the Rarebit Fiend, the pet, which featured this wild donkey cow dog looking thing, I kid you not, uh, just mowing over buildings, scarfing things up, eating a train car. And it was wild. And then, of course, in 1954, uh, kind of the movie that really sparked the giant monster craze, uh, Gojira, a contraction of the word for whale and gorilla was released in Japan. As we know it in America, it was Godzilla. In Japan, of course, it was Gojira. This spawned all sorts of different movies that used the same sort of special effects. Uh, now, that was called tokusatsu. And tokusatsu is the idea that you've got giant suits that fit people inside of them. Godzilla was a suit, and there was a person inside of the Godzilla suit. And then everything that Godzilla stomped on or ripped apart was actually a miniature model. This then spawned a TV show called Ultra Q, and then more popular than Ultra Q was the all-color Ultraman. 
Ultraman came from Galaxy M78 with extraordinary powers to protect Earth. Ultraman was one of the first Monster of the Week TV shows. And every week, a normal human being uh, would get the powers of Ultraman, grow to a gigantic size in order to kick around a giant monster. And so the wild thing about this is that kids loved it, and everyone wanted every single kaiju. So they had to produce toys so that everyone could play with them. To do that, they needed to produce them quickly and cheaply. And soft vinyl was the material to do just that. Eventually, people wanted toys that weren't made by big toy designers. So they took matters into their own hands and learned the art of making soft vinyl toys. And that, my friends, is how we ended up where we are now, where you have tons and tons of people who are obsessed with creating, collecting, buying, trading, on and on and on these toys. We're taking a quick break, but when we return, we are going to go to the back alleys of Reddit to learn more about Sophie. So, normally, we like to go to Twitter for a little Man on the Street segment, but because this topic was a little bit more obscure, we had to go to the back alleys, and by back alleys of the internet, I mean Reddit. And we found guests that weren't just passionate about Sophie or designer toys or art toys, they were practically experts, each in their own way. So before we dive into these callers, we're going to play an epic round of Justin's Jargon. If you are familiar with this podcast, you know what that means. We are going to get some context about what we are about to discuss, some background information, and learn some fun terminology before we bring on our guests. What is a sofubi? Sofubi is a slang Japanese word. It means soft vinyl. What is a kaiju? I think it's Japanese for strange creature. It's typically more on the nefarious, like monstrous side. It's basically just what Godzilla is. Godzilla is a kaiju, very large, monstrous creature. But it can actually, it can take on many different shapes. I've seen kaiju that are like inspired by freeways. It looks like a road, but it's a kaiju monster. And they're usually standing upright and like their body shape is that so that uh, a person can be inside of a costume and representing this creature because originally they were on old Japanese TV shows where it was people in like basically mascot costumes and portraying these creatures. What are some of the materials involved in your creative process? I like to work in a hard wax, a uh, chavant or um, there's several different nice hard waxes. I like a hard material to work in that you can melt or use warm tools on and, and sculpt into it, add to it, subtract from it. That's my preference. You just can get really good tight detail if you want and then you can get really wild texture if you need to too with that. What does pulling in the instance of a vinyl toy mean? So it makes a lot more sense if you're able to watch a video of the soft vinyl produ production process, but they have this like metal mold that's in the shape of the toy that when they pour vinyl into it, then they have to like clamp down on the edges of it and pull really hard to get the vinyl to release from the mold and then 
be pulled out of that. <laughs> so then when you pull it out, it's in the shape of the toy. But there's like little uh, leftover edges on it that need to be like cut and trimmed. So even after it's pulled, it still needs some refining before it's like a complete toy. What is a test pull? A test pull would be when you have your first, you have the mold, and then what you would do is take the very first pulls or a couple of pulls to see how the mold works and to make sure there's no flaws in the casting or flaws in the mold itself. So why is it that someone would go to a convention dedicated to designer toys? Well, a convention is basically a, a trade show for all these artists to just show their toys, show their products. You get to have a one-on-one -on -one interaction with the artist if that's what you, you want to go there for. You can have them sign the toys and they'll usually have exclusives there. That's like probably the number one thing is that like that's how you get a chance to purchase their toys because otherwise you're going to be entering a lottery with, you know, like hundreds of other people and just like hoping for the chance to get a toy. What is a blind box? A lot of artists will have, they'll release like a series of vinyl toys. It's like a set of, I think they're usually about 12. And so you can buy the whole set or you could buy just one box and it could be any of the different kinds of figures that you get uh, that are like listed on the, usually on the side of the box. And they could be, di they're different versions of the same kind of toy. When you say a blank, like blank toy, what do you mean by that? Blank is, is just a uh, unpainted toy. When it comes to art toys, uh, Safabi, designer toys, whatever we're calling it, what is a lottery? Well, because these toys are usually in very limited quantities, but there's a lot of people that want them, they'll have to do a lottery that gives you a chance to purchase the toy. So sometimes when you hear the term lottery, you'll think that it means that you're winning something for free, but actually you have to pay for the toy. Um, you're entering, yeah, just for the chance to be able to purchase it. And it's because there's just so, so many people that are trying to get these toys. You'll find that there's like hundreds of people entering a lottery where there's like five pieces or so. How do you describe art toys? Oh boy, uh, a free form, medium for expression. I don't know. Gosh, they're just so incredible and it's so vast. It's hard to really pin down. It's, it's the imagination run wild. That's what that would be. First up, we've got Luke from Lukewarm Reviews on YouTube. He does Sophobie Reviews. We always start with the same sort of questions. Who are you? What do you do? And uh, why are you here? So uh, my name is Luke Evans. Uh, I am a collector of uh, soft vinyl and resin art toys uh, and also uh, a content creator of sorts. I'm on YouTube at Lukewarm Reviews. You can also follow my toy page on Instagram at Lukewarm Collection. And I am here because I wanted to talk about toys. Why do you like them? Uh, so for me, uh, I've always been a collector, really. When I was a kid, I collected Pokemon cards, you know, like a lot of us did, I think. I've always had that sort of appreciation for uh, aesthetic beauty and for, you know, material goods in a certain way. I've always been a collector. And when I discovered Sophie about four or five years ago, so I'm still kind of the new kid in the Sophie world, but I just fell into it because I love the toys, the scene, the artists. I do love the material itself, the way that it's made, the way that the toys feel and look. 
I think is very distinct and unique. Same goes for resin toys. Yeah, it's all about the material for me. Like a lot of my favorite toys, in fact, are blank toys because there's so many different things you can do with vinyl. You can get marbled vinyl, you can do double pours, you can do put glitter in there, you can do, you know, all sorts of fun stuff. And that's one of my favorite things about the art form. Cause you know, on the art toy spectrum, it depends on the artist you're talking about, but some sofa be artists definitely skew more towards the art side. Some of them skew more toward the toy side. Both are good. You know, a lot of artists will paint their toys when they're releasing stuff. Uh, Mutant Vinyl Hardcore, for example, he always paints his toys these days because they've been bootlegged before. Because he's obviously so popular, so there's obviously going to be people out there who are opportunists who want to hop on that, steal his work, and try and make some money off of it. So one of his ways to combat that is he pretty much just doesn't release blanks anymore. Let's talk about bootlegging. Because bootlegging... There is some aspect, obviously, when you have any art or anything that is desirable, there is always going to be a knockoff. But I've also purchased some toys that are kind of intentional knockoffs of other like pop culture things. <laughs> you know, that's just like, like, I'm trying to think of where, like, you know, you buy the bootleg purse on the streets of New York, but the bootleg purse is worth more than the original thing because it was handcrafted by highly skilled bootleggers like what that's bonkers i think it's you know because i'm fascinated by bootlegs too in a certain way i i like bootleg like pokemon stuff stuff like that like they don't quite look right and they're kind of funky and weird i like stuff like that and it doesn't bother me because you know pokemon is is the most profitable media franchise of all time. So, you know, like, I don't feel like I'm affecting their bottom line too much. I want to talk about your origin story in this, but also about uh, getting into it for the uninitiated. And I think one of the, so I had this thing where I had a, a fair chunk of change and I saw a piece by Real Head. I didn't know who Real Head was. I didn't know anything about anything. But the piece spoke to me. I said, we're going to walk around the block. Uh, I think we were in Akihabara. And if, it, you know, if it's still screaming to us after lunch, then we're buying it. Okay? And, uh, you know, it was like 450 bucks for, you know, a cycloptic cat. Okay. Well, anyway... Once I then got into it, I discovered the uh, Vinyl Artist Gacha series, uh, which, uh, if the viewers or listeners are not familiar, Gachapon is like the coin-operated toy vending machines that you might have at the laundromat here in the States. In general, you get crap out of them here, but in Japan, you can put like six bucks in and get like a cool micro piece of art. You're familiar with those? Yes, yeah. Medicom produces those and a lot of really cool... You know, MVH has done a series... One of my other favorite artists, Konatsuya, has done a couple of different series. I love Konatsuya. Describe Konatsuya for those who are not familiar. Konatsuya is great. The, actually, the first Sofabi toy I ever bought was a Konatsuya toy at Designer Con 2016. Um, and she has this very uh, distinct style. Like anytime you see a Konatsuya toy, you will immediately know that it is a Konatsuya toy. And she primarily does these sort of kaijuified versions of like various woodland creatures like there's an owl and there's a dog and there's a cat and there's um, all sorts of stuff they're very cute uh, but not overly cutesy 
in a way that is still very attractive to me. And I still actively uh, pursue her, her pieces. You kind of hit, hit it on the head there. That, that was the first one. How did you end up at DesignerCon if you didn't know anything about what was going on? This is uh, you know, not something I'm proud of, but I do come from the world of Funko Pops. That is uh, uh, where I started in the toy world um, when I was in college. And I was like, oh, you know, these are kind of fun. I was never super, super serious about it, but you know, I had a couple of valuable ones and I was like, these are cool. And I started to tire of it uh, right about, uh, around when I moved to LA in 2016. And I went to uh, 3D Retro, which is a toy, sh- uh, toy store here in Los Angeles owned by uh, this guy named Ben, who is also the showrunner of DesignerCon. So I went to 3D Retro originally just because I had Googled like, you know, cool toy stores in LA or whatever. And that one popped up and I went and checked it out. And they had a flyer on the counter for DesignerCon. And it was in like two weeks. And I was like, what is this? This looks like it could be fun. I guess I'll go. Because tickets, you know, this was when DesignerCon was much smaller in Pasadena. Tickets were only like 15 bucks for a day, I think. So I was like, why not? You know? And I went home and kind of scrolled through the vendor list on the DesignerCon website and just had a field day. I was just like, holy cow, what is all this cool stuff? But a lot of it is way too expensive for me right now. So it was it was a very, very slow introduction to the hobby for me, which I don't think is a bad thing, you know, because I had to make sure that, you know, this was something that was really going to resonate with me before I, you know, dumped a bunch of money into it. But it it turned out that uh, it stuck. So I think it's worth mentioning um, Funko Pop. Because I too am a, a Funko, a very highly selective Funko Pop uh, purchaser, and I think almost everyone who is listening to this knows what a Funko Pop is or has seen a Funko Pop. And um, I think Funko Pop is like a, a perfect little gateway where you have some of the elements of art toys of Safabi, but also you know much more mass produced. Yeah. Well, and this is the way that I talk about it because. One of the things that originally drew me into Funko Pop collecting was kind of the thing that eventually made me tire of it as well, which was the kind of uniformity in the aesthetic. Initially, I was like, this is kind of cool. I can get all these toys that are from you know different franchises that I enjoy and I can display them together and it looks uniform. Like I can get fucking Michael Bluth from Arrested Development and Harry Potter and whatever and like put them next to each other. But eventually that started to kind of, you know, get old. It was a collection that I didn't enjoy experientially, if that makes any sense. Like it was fun to go out and chase the exclusives and you know like on the the morning when, you know, the Comic-Con exclusives would get released, I would go wait in line at Hot Topic at like 6 a.m. and stuff like that. And there was a certain kind of community to that. It was kind of fun. But the aesthetic experience of the collection really really got kind of boring for me. And that is one of the things that I think Sofubi excels in is that there's such a wide breadth of Sofubi toys of all different styles. There's gory stuff and funny stuff and cutesy stuff, but the material is so specific that you can have, you know, your whole cabinet of Sofubi, all different artists, all different styles, and it still looks really good displayed together because the material is so high quality and so specific. Next up, we've got Tia Flowers, 3D artist and digital sculptor. I'm a 3D artist and digital sculptor, and I'm here because I 
am in love with the culture that is surrounded around vinyl and uh, Sofubi toys. I love it. So uh, how does this world make your life better? As a 3D artist, I really enjoy just the process that goes into each one of these toys. Um, They've become so detailed in the past 10 years or so that it's beyond that also, but it takes different aspects of pop culture and turns them into something completely different. And for me, that's that's something really special that I think a lot of people don't realize that it, it basically, it's just, it's taken the idea of quote unquote fine art and turned it on its head in multiple different ways. Do you have a background in art? I do. I do. My father was a uh, an art professor at Furman University for 30 years. And my mom is an art teacher. So I, I have a background in traditional art. And it's uh, I, I got my degree in animation at Savannah College of Art and Design in 2018. So it's it's definitely been a lifelong thing for me. So how exactly has this turned the idea of fine art on its head? Well, with somebody like Brian Donnelly, so Cause, K-A-W-S, you'll probably recognize if you look him up, the, the type of figure. They've basically taken you know the vinyl toy the pop culture figure and made it into something so much bigger so he has different shows all around the world hong kong all over the place where he has these huge exhibitions and things like that he's had exhibitions in the moma and all these kinds of things that you wouldn't even think about for something like this and um for me that's that's pretty amazing to see is it all he was a graffiti artist in the 80s and now he's doing all these huge things I have uh, two, they're just within arm's reach, two limited edition cause cereal boxes. <laughs> oh, I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm so jealous. <laughs> Hadn't quite gotten there in my collection yet, but <laughs> fingers crossed one day. Well, how did you get into this? Uh, it's kind of a funny story. In eighth grade, <laughs> we took a class trip to Walt Disney World. I'd never been. And I know, uh, you know, I had heard of like designer toys and things like that. Like I knew that kind of the whole aspect around it but you know everybody's buying the mickey ears and all the 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 gross stuff and i saw these little blind boxes and they were basically bear bricks like from medicom toys you know bear bricks but they were shaped as mickeys and i thought it was the coolest thing and then you had so i that's all i cared about that whole trip and um it's it's basically just i fell in love with the collecting aspect of you know you never know what you're going to get or but then as I grew into a 3D artist, I'm like, oh my gosh, the detail that goes into some of these things and all the little pieces of the toys and things like that, uh, it, it really just kind of developed into, into something bigger. I recently went on a, an internet-wide quest to find a blind box series that was Ultraman via Popey. And Ultraman oh uh, was depicted in these little figures as doing average everyday cho- everyday joe tasks so uh they called him salary man oh i love it and it's an incredible little series of like ultraman getting his jacket caught in the subway door or uh <laughs> ultraman sharing his sandwich with a bird and uh, oh that's fun there was something so subversive and yet celebratory about this and i could find individuals but I was so scared of because they're not cheap. I was so scared yeah. of getting doubles from the blind box. Yeah. I, I had to go on the even more difficult quest of trying to find the entire series in one shot. So I didn't oh, double yeah. up on all this stuff. 
When it comes to blind boxes, and I freaking love blind boxes, because mm-hmm. who doesn't love a present that you don't know, you truly don't know what's <laughs> right? inside, right? Right. Uh, I tend to, if I'm absolutely in love head over heels, I will buy a whole set. If I'm mm-hmm. just kind of flirting or dating, I'll buy a single. Where do you fall in this? I usually, for me, I usually fall into just the singles just because I like, for example, I've been getting the um, the Skull Panda and Pop Mart collabs. They've come out with some great series recently. They had like a, a Haunted Castle one and the Action series, which was like uh, filmmakers and stuff like that. It was these really cool design toys and I love them so much. And they're relatively new. And I'll just buy like one from each series just to see which one I get. And But I, they all... You can tell that they're all, I'm looking at them right now on my shelf. You can tell that they're all from the same people. Like they have the same base more or less, but they have so many little details about them and things like that. But yet usually I, I will go with just the, just the singles. And if I really, really like it, I'll, I'll take the gamble and try for a second single. Do you think that uh, blind boxes are like a good way to kind of dip your toe into the world of, of art toys? Oh, for sure. Yes, uh, 100%. Because you could either get I know that SpongeBob had a collab with the monsters and they had uh, a whole series of blind boxes that you could get. And then there's, I mean, there's so many different, it's blossomed into such a huge industry of different kinds of characters and things like that. But it's really, I think, yeah, if you're, if you're looking to start, I would start with the blind boxes. And then, then if you are really serious about, you know, collecting that sort of stuff, go for full sets or go for bigger, bigger, versions of those and things like that. Uh, I would almost wager that the the blind box uh, idea of designer toys, you could almost anything that you're into, you could probably type blind box after it and find it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, I know Minecraft has some things. There's, there's a ton of, there's a ton of different brands and stuff that are hopping on that bandwagon. But I mean, I even just like with different artists will have their own series where you can get like one or a different kind or things like that. And there's a bunch of great places online that I've got stuff. And Pop Mart is one of my favorite to look for blind box stuff. You really, you said you were looking at your collection right in front of you and yes. <laughs> your, your voice kind of changed uh, where you kind of shifted. <laughs> look, even as I describe it, you, you giggle. Yeah. Where where does the happiness come from is question one. And then question two is, how do you explain to people that don't get the happiness, that just don't, it doesn't click, what's going on? Because I look like a freaking hoarder. Oh, well, same. I, you know, I just have them up, you know, I have my whole desktop set up right in front of me, but I have them up on a little shelf. And I got this little thing from Walmart, which is like a... um It's supposed to be like organizing your spices on your kitchen shelf. And it's tiered. It's like a tiered shelf. And uh, that's what I have them all set up on, all nice and neat. And it's for me, the 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 fun comes in mainly with the blind boxes is the surprise of it. You never know which one you're going to get. And I think that's wonderful. And also just the artistry behind it is uh, knowing that somebody in 3D or traditionally sculpting had to go through the process of making this character and making all the little details and making sure this is just right, but also is recognizable for a brand or for something like that. And I just think the artistry of it, um, you know, and the paint jobs, I mean, it, it, I could go on and on about it, but it's it's just the whole aspect of all of that wrapped up in a little bow, you know, in a little package is, is real fun for me. <laughs> Next up, Paul Shiola of Mile High Sophobie. 
Well, my name is Paul Shiola. I, uh, I own and operate Mile High Sofubi, which is a uh, Sofubi production company, one-person Sofubi production company. You're looking at the guy here in Denver, Colorado. S- similar to you and your interest in, in Sofubi, um, uh, I got interested a long time ago. My gateway was Godzilla and Ultraman, of course. I think that's everyone's gateway initially. Um, and then you start down that rabbit hole and boy, it takes off. And so I'm here busy working for a lot of different artists and, and different customers across the country and across the world, actually making toys for them and, and hopefully making a lot of people happy. That's my goal. I love that. What an honorable goal. I had this like sort of reverse uh, method of getting into uh, Sofubi, which I didn't really know a lot about Godzilla or Ultraman. I found a toy. It spoke to me. I did a little research and then I uncovered uh, this massive world. That nobody really, like, unless you're talking about it, it's like very much one of those things. If, if you know, you know. But the vast majority of people don't know. And so I think a lot of people understand what Godzilla is. I don't think a lot of people understand Ultraman. And I'm staring at two massive Ultraman posters that I'm currently flattening the creases out of right now, like right across from me. Let's talk about Godzilla and Ultraman and how they pertain to this world. Absolutely. I mean... Uh, Godzilla, I think, like you said, most people are familiar with Godzilla in that world. Ultraman, it's a little more complex. I mean, you know, it started in the 60s with a show called Ultra Q, which was sort of a black and white show, uh, kind of a cross between uh, uh, X-Files and Twilight Zone, some really crazy stuff, but it had wild kaiju, big monsters in it, and it was just so much fun. And from there, uh, they, they branched off and did Ultraman, the very first Ultraman, and he was, of course, a an alien from another planet, uh, M- M75, uh, and he accidentally killed an Earthling. And so he gave his body to this Earthling so that he could uh, help protect Earth and then also give this man his life back. And so they became one of the same. So this was a human being with an alien life form inside of him who would fight Kaiju every week. So it was cool. It was like, you know, with Godzilla, you had X amount of monsters that you saw in the movie. With Ultraman, every week you got a new monster. Uh, who couldn't love that? I mean, my gosh, the, just for that first series of Ultraman, the plethora of monsters is just mind-boggling, you know, and it grew from there, you know, Ultra 7 and so on and so forth. And they're still making Ultraman series in Japan as we speak, so. So how do these pertain to the world of art toys? Well, it's, it's really the Sofubi production, soft vinyl production is where... The toys started. It was a, an easy, inexpensive way for them to produce mass quantities of these different monsters from Godzilla and Ultraman. As time progressed through the 90s, people started wanting to make their own specific designs in, in this format. And so they were branching out. Um, pretty much you have to go overseas anymore to get it made because unfortunately we exported our technology and we never kept it here in the US. So people were going to Japan and China, Taiwan and getting these really cool art toys made it just it sort of snowballs and so now everyone's it's cool because the awareness is becoming bigger and bigger about vinyl toys and it fascinates me i mean now there's huge conventions designer con in anaheim california huge convention and everyone there is a toy designer and oh the talent under one roof is just oh amazing so how do you differentiate between a toy and an art toy. <laughs> to me, there's no difference. I mean, uh, regardless of the toy I get, I'm going to take that out of the package and play with it. I mean, that's what it was made for. But an art toy is, is a little different. It's probably come from an original idea, original artist's idea or concept, uh, rather than from a movie or TV show. It may be a play on 
something that's already popular, uh, maybe a, a Disney character or maybe a, a famous cartoon character that's kind of mashed up and changed. And some people just have wild, vivid imaginations that do fantastic stuff just right off the top of their head. And it's you can pretty much see, see the difference between an art toy and a, a regular sofa bee because it's just the the wild creativity that goes into it. It's not so um, strict to the design, you know. So if you make a Godzilla, it's going to look like this specific Godzilla. You could just do about anything you want as an art toy, which is cool. So how did you uh, get into this? Well, I've been I've been a sculptor for many many years, and uh, my interest always has been movies and television shows. I was a fine artist for years, and so I kind of honed myself down into what my really interest. Where where is my heart really at with all this? And um, I tried to figure out how to do vinyl toys about ten years ago, and it was just the cost and the knowledge wasn't there. It was just really too formidable. So I I found a different route to try to make my toys. I used resin, like a lot of folks start with with resin, and then eventually pieced it together how to do the vinyl toy production. So it took me about three years to set up all the different equipment, sort it all out, get all my sources for connections for materials and colorants and molds and all this stuff, and and then kicked it off in uh, 2019. Talk to me about value, uh, the value of art toys. That's that's a really interesting question because it's like any market. I guess it's what the market will bear for a specific toy. But with our toys, it seems like collectability is built in. Small runs, different colorways or paint jobs or casting in different types of vinyl or colors of vinyl. And so that helps collectability, I think, in a lot of ways. If you think about, again, we'll go back to Ultraman, you know, 20, 30,000 of those figures are made, uh, rotocast, you know, so it's collectability. Yeah, I mean, somewhat, you know, they're not as expensive as, say, an art toy, which may only be, you know, there may be 20 of these in existence in the whole world. Of this specific run, so that's what's fascinating about it. Um, so the prices can can swing widely. Um, I've seen some toys go for three, four, five hundred dollars. Um, I know you've probably seen stuff that's easily that high, if not more. Yeah, I might have won an opportunity to buy like a one of five uh, Godzilla, <laughs> and uh, it was a it was a pretty penny. But I looked at it as an investment, and also as a way to support the people that are doing great things and making the world a better place you know absolutely because that's what it's about i mean you fuel you fuel fuel the creativity and you're going to get a lot more out of it you know what i mean in the long run it's going to be everyone's going to enjoy it a lot more because we're going to see a lot more fun stuff come from them i I like that and yeah and that's what i want ultimately is for everyone to be as jazzed about this as i am because then i guess i won't feel so alone in my fascination (laughs) and hobby how do you talk about to people that don't get it, uh, the fact that you have tons of what s- seems like tchotchkes, action figures, detritus junk all over your shelves. Because once you get into this, you need dedicated shelving, you need dedicated space oh. to display all of your, your things. And to the, the uninitiated, it might look like you collect junk. It's true. Yeah. There's always that headwind you have to go against when folks don't quite understand it. Um, but I think a little brief explanation. I mean, uh, family members especially think that you're out of your mind. I mean, you know, at your age, you're collecting toys. Well, yeah. I mean, but I'm still 13 years old at heart, right? I'm never going to change there. But it's just basically breaking it down to them, explaining to them, well, these are some of my favorite movies and they're characters from my favorite movie. So it's, uh, it's a part of the movie that I can have and hold, mess with, 
um, help me remember fond memories from when I saw those movies or TV shows. That's that's a really good way to start with it, I think, with folks because then they understand the connection. You know, it's similar to why other people collect, uh, you know, movie posters or sports memorabilia. Same kind of thing. It's the same tie. And if if there are any type of collector, which a lot of folks, it seems like there's a lot of collectors around anymore of different things. They kind of get that. They kind of understand. But it is a difficult thing for a lot of folks to understand. I'll have to give you that. It is tough. You know, I, but I, I, like you, are probably used to being looked at a little crazy. Like, you're nuts. And like, yeah, I am. And I'm proud of that fact. So, yeah, you know. same. I, I feel like, you know, in the event of fire, it's like wife, pets, toys. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but I also, um, to me... Like and and like also from Japan. Um, I forget the name of the the chick who was like, you know, declutter your life. A part of her idea of this was like, if it doesn't bring you joy, you probably don't need it. But I look at every single one of my toys as a narrative, as a story, as something that's open to interpretation. I look at each toy as being like a book, like a priceless book, a first run limited edition printing of a story that I write in my mind every time I look at it. I don't know of many other things in life that give me that sensation. Like I work in food. I love food. But food doesn't necessarily conjure the unknown to me or a a world that I can't be a part of. Food is a very tangible, acquirable, attainable terrestrial thing. But being the size of a building and, and knocking over that building with, you know, my three heads or massive tail or whatever, I can't get that. Where do you drift to when you want to create a, a toy? Where do you start? What does the creative process look like in, in the development of this? And then let's, let's go into the technical specifics after that. Definitely. Yeah. Well, with me... Uh, as I said, I, I love, of course, Japanese culture, but also world movie culture, especially B movies. That's I have two arms in my company, the production company and then the retail company. So I make my own toys for myself as well as other people. So the toys that I make for my own company, the retail arm, are really based on super obscure movies that most people probably have never seen or, or may never want to see. So, But they're very fond of me. So I want to make these creatures come to life. I've always wanted a toy of them. There's never been a toy made. So that's what really is my impetus and my, that fuels me uh, to, to continue on making these types of toys. So I look into my mind and my memory and my interest in movies and try to draw from that. Basically, it comes from you know basic concept and then reference photos or sketches and then into the sculpting phase from there. That's the fun part. That's the real creative part. Well, it's all kind of fun, but that's the creative part of it. You know, I love it. So. Let me kind of walk through this process. So you get an idea, you might sketch it out, you sculpt it. You say you sculpt it out of resin. Uh, wax, and then we take it into resin for the final. Yeah, just so that we can finish okay, it. Okay, walk me through like exactly physically, what does that mean? Well, basically you physically fo- sculpt uh, the piece and then you have it to where you pretty much want it. Then a mold is made and it's made out of either silicone or a soft urethane. Um, molds are made of the component parts and then cast in a two-part polyurethane resin. Um, those are removed from the molds and then cleaned up any seam lines, any little imperfections are corrected, uh, sanded. And that's where the real tight detail work comes in. And then once you're satisfied with that, then, then it would come into my hands for production from there. Um, 
I, I sat down and worked with my mold makers. Now, there's, there's no one here in this country that makes these molds, so I have to go to China for my mold, make, mold making. And the folks I work with over there are fantastic, lovely people, and I've been working with them now for what, almost three years, and they're just wonderful guys to work with. So we sit down and have conversations. I talk to them about twice a day over different projects. And so we'll uh, digest this, this, this image or, or uh, resin that we have and figure out how we're going to break it down to make it to, into a mold. Once that's decided, then I send them the original resin and then they take it through the process. There's, there's many steps. It's very time consuming to make a mold. So they'll take this resin, they'll make another mold from it, another silicone mold. Then they'll cast wax into that. The waxes are taken, uh, cleaned up again. Uh, any logo or anything you want put on there, um, those are approved by myself or my customers. Um, from there, then it's taken into an anodization process where they put it into a tank and they anodize copper around this wax piece. So it builds up a thin layer of copper around it. And that becomes the mold at the end of the day. It takes about two weeks to build up that layer. And once that's done, they take that, they melt out the wax. And they weld that onto a metal tray and a frame with a handle on it. And that becomes the Sofubi mold. Wow. And then from there? <laughs> from there, from there, then uh, they send them to me to do test pulls. I send the test pulls to the to customer or myself to approve if it's my piece. So then I go through it, make sure that everything looks the way I want it. Once it's approved, then we're rocking into production. Finally, we've got Candy Bolton, independent Sofubi designer. Um, so I'm Candy Bolton. I'm an artist and a toy designer. I'm here because Justin also shares a love for designer toys and cool artistic things. <laughs> so I've been doing this for about eight years now. So it feels like I'm still very much a novice and not an expert in this field at all. But I guess I have been doing it for you know a little bit of time now. Well, you know, when you have natural talent and people recognize that, it doesn't matter if you've been, you know, playing the game for five minutes or 50 years, right? I guess so. Yeah, I just kind of jumped into it. And since then, it, it became my whole life. I've been spending the past eight years uh, traveling to all these different conventions. I've been to over 20 now where it's all about these toys and all these different designers are there creating their own toys and selling their artwork. And so, yeah, I've just been completely engulfed in it. That's excellent. Uh, I want to say that, uh, yeah, my timeline is close to that. I'm, I'm at like the five or maybe six year mark of being uh, obsessed and engulfed. Um, but let's talk about like your origin story. Like what's the radioactive spider? Like when did you get bit and how? <laughs> uh, well, I think I started collecting toys probably in 2013. Um, I just suddenly had this itch to like collect vintage Godzilla toys. And at the time, I didn't know what they were called. I just saw some in passing and thought, those are really cool. I want to learn more about these and start collecting them. And while researching uh, places to purchase these vintage toys, I started to learn more about the type of toys in general that they are. They're called sofubi. That's uh, the shortened Japanese term for soft vinyl. And I also learned that people are still making toys in the same exact vintage style. 
And um, it's a lot of independent artists that are producing their own designs, their own characters. So that's when this whole world opened up to me where I realized it's not just about Godzilla. It's not just about Ultraman. It's people, artists that are around right now that are creating their own uh, creatures and characters. Some of them inspired by Godzilla, definitely, and inspired by kaiju characters, but also just anything, like anything that you can imagine. So we spoke with a uh, um, uh, toy producer out of Denver from Mile High Safabi. What's amazing is you guys kind of told the exact same history and the exact same tale, uh, mentioning both uh, Godzilla and uh, Ultraman. That makes me very happy uh, because I love it when something has, you know, like a concrete thread. You know, we're talking about art. And so it's incredible that you brought kind of the same little like origin story. And it's cool that something new is rooted in something retro. And I guess when you think about it, all things kind of are. But I think what astonishes me about this, and uh, as a fan of your work, is just how much personalization and flair goes into it. So what do you do currently within this industry? I self-produce my own toys and I also do a lot of painting of those toys, which is usually airbrushing. Um, and I will also, I'll do collaborations where I paint other people's toys. So toys that were designed by other artists, they'll send them to me and then I'll paint them. I'll do like my own style on that. I also will design toys for other companies too. That includes um, like Sanrio is probably my biggest one. Never also, heard of them. Robot. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Some people, like I tell them I've worked with Sanrio and they're just like deer in the headlights. <laughs> then I have to say, hello, kitty. And then they're like, oh. Wow. Um, well, that's impressive. You know, that's pretty meteoric. I mean, as far as like Japan goes, I think Sanrio is probably some of the most, uh, you know, notable and recognizable characters of all time. So bravo going from like, you know, just a novelty sort of hobby thing. And then eight years, all of a sudden you, you're working with one of probably the biggest IPs in Japan, if not the world. Yeah, I know. Hello Kitty's up there. She's a very recognizable character. It was um, very difficult for me to figure out how to uh, work with that character because it's so iconic. Right. Yeah. I mean, short of like Mickey, Mario and Pikachu. Uh, you know, like there's not much more you can go for, right? Yeah, I think she's seriously like in the top five. How does one transition from, hey, I want Godzilla stuff laying around uh, to I'm going to start creating? Well, it started with a lot of uh, networking and making connections and also uh, proving that like I have these artistic skills by mostly posting on social media and also just uh, trying to get more into this designer toy world by collecting um, and attending conventions. I think those are all the major things that helped me become a recognizable artist in the industry. And from there, I started to get offers from different companies to design toys. So the first one was Max Toy Co. And I designed um, my first toy, Kitsura. And it's like a little fox spirit. And um, then I got shortly after an offer from Toy Art Gallery, where I produced a much larger toy that's based on um, like various kaiju characteristics. And that one's Bake Kujira. And what does your creative process look like? Uh, so like usually I will try to just wait until I have this like 
spark of inspiration, but of course that doesn't always happen when you want it to. And sometimes it will take years for that to happen. So if I'm having trouble with that, then I will look through um, a lot of vintage toys for inspiration or um, looking up lately, I've been looking at a lot of yokai characters. So those are like uh, traditional Japanese creatures that are usually like mysterious, mischievous spirit type characters that can be like, um, they can be everyday items or also animals. So I take a lot of inspiration, yeah, from like vintage stuff and then uh, Japanese culture. Um, and from there, I'll just like start sketching and I will, when I settle on a design, then I will have to do like three, at least three different views of it, like a front side and back view. And um, I'm not really a sculptor. I have sculpted a few of my toys. Um, but if I'm not going to do the sculpt for my to for that design in particular, then I will send it over to a sculptor to do it. And um, from there, it will need to be produced in wax. And then the wax sculpt will be turned into an iron mold. And once it's a metal mold, then it can be, you can put vinyl in it and pull the toy and start producing. You know, now that we live in such difficult times, and it seems like this is such a largely collaborative process, right? And ultimately, you know, it's not like like a mu like music or a recipe. You know, you have to physically send physical things and physically produce physical things. I mean, what does it look like, you know, how long to go from, a, a, you know, three sketches to done deal in this day and age? What does that look like for you? Has that been taxing or troubling? Back when we could travel and attend conventions, we used to even be able to like finish a physical sculpt in our studio and then like fly it over to the, um, the factory that would usually be in Japan or China and... Um, would get to like see other artists, go to other like toy shows. And it was great for inspiration a lot of the time and also getting like input on what you're working on and see like catch up with other artists and see what new projects they're working on too. The process, it takes a really long time for the whole production because a lot of these factories, they're very, very small. There's only like five people or so working at each factory. Yeah, like it's really more like a mom and pop little factory thing going on. And so these factories get backed up because there's actually a lot of artists doing this right now. Um, I'm not sure if there's less um, happening like as of this year, but in like 2019, it was booming. Like it was really hard to find a factory that you could get your toy produced at. And even if they like agreed to produce it for you, you'd be waiting I think like at least a year. So like if it, your toy, if they received the sculpt for your toy and then did like the wax and the metal mold process, you'd be lucky to have it finished within six months. I'd say that that's actually like a really good amount of time. But yeah, you could be waiting like a year or two to have it finished. And then from there, like even though it's ready to be produced, like asking to get the vinyl pulled and getting more toys from your factory would also take a very long time as well. The thing that I think I love about this style of art versus like art in a museum or in a wall, and I know that actually some toy designers have made it on a wall and in museums, but as far as art that 
I'm appreciating on my own terms. I like the idea of saying like, how would I play with this? Or what narrative would I write for this character that I have no backstory to? to? Or even like sometimes artists uh, will give just like a one paragraph backstory as to the origin of this character. And then we're kind of like free to write our own narrative. And I like that, you know? Yeah, and that reminds me that um, also another part of toy production is doing the packaging. So that's the whole thing on its own. Like uh, the standard packaging is just a header card, which can be, it's basically like a printed postcard that you fold in half and then staple to a bag with the toy inside of the bag. Um, But I've seen people do all kinds of elaborate things. But um, just with the standard header card, you can also do a lot to like bring the character to life because you can do like a really like beautiful painting of the character, have that on the front. And then on the back of the header card, sometimes people write like a little story or something about the character. But it's great to know that people are like coming up with their own narratives too and their own little stories about it. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I don't know. There's just something magical and it's like a different realm of creativity that, you know, when I stare at a plate of food or, a, you know, a Van Gogh, it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't stir as much in me. I don't know. You know, it doesn't create anything in me, but I don't know, for some reason, toys do. Um, has the world of designer toys made your life better? I think so, because actually it helped me become a full-time artist. Because before this, I was a graphic designer and that was fine because I always wanted to do something with art. So I was like, this is like, this is how I, I'm doing it. I'm like doing art as a profession. But then being like a full-time artist is a whole different thing where I feel like I'm really just being creative and create making things that I want to make. And that's amazing. It's great that like, I'm just doing stuff that I think is cool and fun and looks cool. And then people are buying it and they like it. So really I can't ask for much more than that. So my friends, the world of Sophie, soft vinyl toys, art toys, and their designers and their conventions is no longer hidden to you. I honestly hope that uh, this has inspired you to go out and support an artist or creator. If you wanna get started, one of my favorite shops is My Plastic Heart. Of course, they have an online shop, Q-pop shop, or Mandarake in Japan. They also ship overseas. I'm also a huge fan of One Up. If you follow One Up Toys on Instagram, oftentimes it will have a lottery for overseas winners. Anyhow, uh, I hope that you can get as much joy out of Safabi as I do. I think the world of art and designer toys just makes us smile, but it's not like a smile you get from a meme. It's a smile that comes from the kid that's still in you. Special thanks to Luke from Lukewarm Reviews on YouTube, Tia Flowers, Paul Shiola of Mile High Sophie and Sputnik underscore supplies on Instagram, and finally, Candy Bolton. 